this week good Ange. how are you good well that means it's another episode of money in the bank a podcast where we talk about all things related to personal finance so do you remember what we're talking about this week uh last episode was the first of our second season right yes uh, yeah, what you know the the season, season where, number two season where we don't really have trivia questions right uh and we were talking about our our you know budget series part two for- yeah <laughs> Well, you got the the trivia question right last episode, so don't you want to keep that streak going? No. <laughs> so, since you're so enthusiastic about these trivia questions, what percentage of their paycheck do people spend on going out to eat and groceries? So, the total food budget. Uh, gosh, I feel like people spend a lot on food, like 40-50%. Of their whole paycheck? Yeah. Food's important. Who are you? What? (laughs) It is the most important thing in your whole life. 11%. No way. You have to save money and you have to have a place to live and you have to pay taxes. Yeah, that's like 30% for mortgage, right? And then taxes are like 30%, but then food's everything else. Come on. Yeah, no. All right, so we're going to be talking about more specifics about how you should set the dollar amounts of your budget on this week's episode. So last week we talked about different ways to budget. And now we're going to say, okay, here's kind of the amounts that you should set aside. And this is roughly the amounts you should be spending any every month. And any way that you want to get there is fine, as long as you're kind of hitting these ballparks. Right. We talked about the envelope model of how how to budget things. And now you're talking about what how much money are you putting in each envelope? Yes. How to figure that out. Yep. So we already did a whole budget series that you can go back and listen to, but this will kind of be like the very condensed version. So we're not going to go into as much detail on all of these items, but it'll be a quick run through. So I also wanted to do like a hypothetical because I think sometimes dollar amounts are easier to comprehend than just percentages. So in this scenario, we are going to be assuming that you're making $50,000 a year. And I landed on that because that's kind of roughly the average household income in America. Okay. We have a lot of international listeners, so sorry. This focus more on the percentages, I guess. Um, So number one, right off the bat, you're going to pay taxes. We in this country have federal tax, state tax. Some cities have a city tax, and we also pay into Medicare and Social Security. So that all of those combined will be about 24% for the the income I picked. Right. None of that even includes sales tax. Don't forget about that one. Well, that, yeah, but that's not something that's taken out of your paycheck. Right. That's, that'll be just across all the other envelopes. But you control that, right? Like if you buy less and you pay less in sales tax, you can stick it to the man. <laughs> that's right. That'll show them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you'll pay about 24% in taxes right off the top, meaning that if you make $50,000 a year, really you get to take home $38,200 or about 3200 every month. So the first thing that I recommend you do right off the bat is save money with any paycheck, right? Okay. So in How this much? example, I ended up getting to 28%. Now, I want to caveat and say I was kind of looking at some of these and I was like, I'm going to focus on doing this more for like a single person. Mm-hmm. But 
So like the groceries, you might have to, right? You might not be able to save this much money if you have more people to buy food for, right? right. If you're feeding four miles, that's a lot more. Yeah. More dough. So in this example, I'm saving 28%, which is $890 every month, which is awesome, right? I mean, I feel like very few people are able to save that much money. So mm-hmm. so you're so you chose to do savings first rather than having that be the remainder and that was a that was intentional strategy right yes so i actually started with 20 percent savings and then i filled all my other buckets and then i had eight percent left over that i put back into savings okay which i feel like is kind of how i do my normal budgeting every single month when we get paid brett lets me handle all of the budgeting which is great and i save all of our goals first And then at the end of the month, if I notice that we still have extra money that we didn't spend, then I'll put that back in savings. So in this example, I would actually say you can go ahead and start with saving 20%. And then, you know, I just happen to have an extra 8% left over. So that would mean that you're able to save still $637 every single month, which is still very awesome, right? Right. So what is that for times 12 for the year? So like... Uh, would you say 600 something? That would so be 7,600. 7, okay. Yeah. yeah. 7,600 a year. Um, and again, like, you know, I would probably recommend doing about 10% in a 401k or IRA. And then the other 10% I would use to build up your emergency fund. And then after you have an emergency fund, you can either put that, you know, in your 401k as well, or you can go ahead and save for other long term goals like down purchase down payment for a house or something like that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then the next one I had was mortgage and rent because everybody needs a roof over their head, right? Yep, Somebody, everybody's paying this in one way or another. So the recommendation here is to not spend more than one third of your take home pay on mortgage or rent. So I was a little, I played it a little safe and picked 30% and that got us to being able to spend $955 a month on rent. Yep, and that rule is especially true when you're at the fifty thousand a year mark, right? That we're estimating this for. Yes. Obviously, when you start making more, more and more money, that doesn't just necessarily mean that your house should be more and more and more expensive. Right, which we've talked about several yeah. times with not inflating your lifestyle, right? Because yep. then you're just able to save more and more every month. Um, but what I think is important to highlight about this nine hundred and fifty-five dollar amount is. In my opinion, it is very reasonable to get a job paying $50,000 living in the Midwest like we do, which many tout as a low cost of living area. So even if you have a family, let's say you have a kid or two, you can still find a very nice place to live and your mortgage would be $955. So um, I know like when I lived in Chicago, my rent was 1080, which obviously would have been a little high, but I actually was saving a lot in like the auto and transport category, which will be coming up next. So I was able to kind of absorb that $100 swing. But I think it's also important to note that if you're in a bigger city and you're making $50,000, it doesn't go as far as it would somewhere else. So maybe like you have to, you know, have dual income or you have to live with somebody if you're still young and single. So Mm -hmm. that's just, and I think, you know, another important thing I want to note is like, If you are in the service industry and you're living in an expensive city and you're making minimum wage and you're like, I can't get ahead, you're probably not wrong. And at some point you should consider moving. I've seen more and more trends talking about how 
like people are leaving San Francisco, people working in the service industry because they cannot afford it anymore. And that is actually the right decision. Like nobody can afford to live in San Francisco if they're even if they're making $15 an hour, which is the new minimum wage out there. It's just such an expensive city. Right. I mean, there's no safeguards in place that say like that that has to be true, right? It, it That is a very real possibility that it is way too expensive where you live for how much you make. Right. right. And it's kind of supply and demand, though. So, like, if you're willing to, like, go into debt to stay there, then they're going to keep continuing charging these prices. But if all of a sudden all of these people leave because they won't pay for these prices, they have to come down, right? Yeah. I mean, if <laughs> the you're... The market will correct. Yeah. If you're just, like, you know, bartending or waitressing in New York and you could be making the same money that you could in any other city in the US, but your housing would go down 90%, then you know you either really love the city or you got other irons in the fire there, right? But I wouldn't just be doing that for fun. Yeah, but I always think that's important to kind of caveat, like you can move, you're not mm -hmm. stuck. Um, okay, so moving on now that I've had that whole spiel. So we saved 28%, we spent 30% on our mortgage. So we're already over 50% of our money is spent. Um, so the next category is auto and transport. Now I recommend trying to keep this right around 10% of your take home. Now this does not include insurance, which we will get to in another line item, but this would be all of your gas and your payment and any maintenance on your car. So that, yeah, you'd have $320 to spend a month. I think this is probably the area in which most people spend way too much money. I know another story I have about living in Chicago is I decided to not have a car there. So my auto and transport was $86 a month because that's what the CTA pass was. And then anything to come home, which a train ride home would have been maybe about 60 bucks round trip. Mm -hmm. So very few months was I spending more than $150 a month in auto. And if I would have kept my car, it would have cost me $86 just to park it at my apartment. It would have cost, and that was cheap for oh, the neighborhood. Was, yeah, that was a good deal. It would have cost me $300 to park my car at work, not to mention, you know, par and parking anywhere else or wear and tear. I mean, all of that stuff. So that would have really ballooned my budget if I would have decided to have a car. So I think. That's something that a lot of people should look at. Or, you know, if you have a car that you're making payments on and your payments are like $500 a month, you should probably really decide if you should keep that car or if you should sell it and get a cheaper, more reliable car, which we have talked about quite extensively. On the right. Podcast. So so where you're factoring in the numbers for this, though, you are including like more of the mileage estimate valuation, right? Yes. So look up, and I don't know if you have a good website off the top of your head, but like looking up like what your car mileage valuation is like for mine i have a honda civic so i get more of my car per mile than like somebody that drives a escalade yeah so like brett's car being a honda civic and being a 2007 it costs us about 30 cents a mile when you factor in everything to drive that car right yeah gas, we're, not, we're not just talking about gas we're tires about, yeah. right all maintenance um yeah there's, but, a, there's a statistical formula out there already yeah and if you for, just type into google like Co mileage cost for a car like there's a lot of different calculators out there mm -hmm. the the state or the federal is like 55 cents a mile right right there's that's just flat across the board for everything right. regardless of what and you drive. so my old car a 2013 ford escape was actually pretty close to that federal guideline if you drive anything bigger than a 2013 escape 
So yeah, your Escalade or your Tahoe or your Suburban or whatever, I actually estimate that closer to about 70 cents a mile. mile. So that's the spectrum kind of across the board from a small compact car at 30 cents to, you know, a big giant vehicle at 70 cents. So you'll land somewhere along there. So yeah, when you're looking at your monthly budget, you should not just be thinking of this in terms of gas, but also even if you don't have wear, like maintenance coming in yet, you will. So you should save a portion of this $300 for future maintenance, right? Right. And that's what we talked about last time where I had set it up before where I had like a new car fund or a car fund basically. Yep. And this portion of my budget was going into that fund. And then, it, you know, I would spend gas out of that. And then I would spend oil changes out of that. And any, any maintenance work would go you know, directly in and out of that budget. And yeah. at some point that's going to turn into a new vehicle, right? Right. As long down the road as I can make it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So the next category is groceries. That's right. So 6%. 60% of your budget, right? 6%. (laughs) So that equals out to be roughly $200 a month. Okay. So this is where I said, you know, obviously if you're paying for more than one person to eat, you're going to need to adjust this up because... $200 for one person is a very healthy budget, in my opinion. $200 for two people might be a little harder. Um, I know our groceries, and we eat, I would say, pretty on the high spectrum of super awesome food. We're so lavish. Um, Very lavish. We land typically between $300 and $350 a month for both of us to Mm -hmm. eat. So um, that's, that's good because we'd be $175 a person, right? So we're right... We're not just like saying this, like we actually practice what we preach, which I think is important to highlight here. Um, oh but- yeah, every every quarter Angela sends me this like highly detailed graph of exactly <laughs> where all of our money went, let me tell you. Yeah, he just got a half year. I was a little late, <laughs> but um, yeah. And you know, in college actually, my, bu- my grocery budget was $100 a month. Mm-hmm. And I kept that through paying off all my student loans. So it is very possible to eat cheaper than this. This is a very reasonable, you can eat very good on this amount. Mm-hmm. Um, which I just think it's important to note because I've actually noticed that groceries, maybe because people listen to you, um, groceries are an area where people, well, food in general, where people really inflate their budget without realizing it. Well, yeah, and especially now if you're just listening to the like the trendy stuff, if you're just like going to the grocery store and buying organic everything, that stuff is just a fortune. Like we eat really well, and we don't buy anything in the store that is like labeled organic. Well, unless we've done, yeah, unless we've like looked it up in advance and like we actually trust where it's. We also don't go to the store that often. Yeah, we get most of our food from the farmers market, and the big thing that that's helped me with is not doing impulse buys and not buying prepackaged food. Because even if you're buying organic everything, you're probably still coming out ahead if you're like buying the fruit and vegetables themselves versus like, I want to eat very awesome diet and I'm going to buy like the pre-made food, right? That's the most expensive way. Yeah. Yep. So, um, okay. The next category is going out to eat. So this one, and I pulled this actually off of the like national average because I was curious, 5%. So people actually almost basically do equal amounts going out to eat and groceries, which is very much not how we do things. I would have actually thought it was higher. I, I feel like people tend to eat out more or eat fast food more than they would ever cook. Like I know people that don't cook ever 
like 0% of the time. Yeah, I think, um, you know, so they, they did actually have an aggregate number and then they tried to break it out. So it might not be a perfect split. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that clocks in at $160 a month, which means we're at $350 a month for all things food related. And I would say, you know, that's, we probably spend three hundred close to $350 a month for both of us to eat groceries and we, but we really only go out to eat maybe once or twice a month. Right. I mean, we're a little atypical in that model, you know, where we have made it, we've made a life decision to like try and work that to be less, uh, less of a priority in our life. Right. Yeah. So, and I think this is one that can easily add up. Like I know a lot of people, you know, even that I work with, they just buy food at work because we have a cafeteria and on average, the meals there are going to be at least $7. So you're spending, you know, 50 bucks a week or $35 a week just on just at work, which is $140 a month. You basically spent your entire dining budget mm-hmm. just buying food at work. And it's not even like that great. Okay. And when we go, I mean, when we go out to eat, we spend more than most people would at an average restaurant to go out to dinner. Right. Because right. we, we just go to like a nice place when we're going to go out to eat because, you know, we, we see it as a treat. Well, and I mean... You know, I, I think we might have mentioned this before, but I also have celiac disease. So a lot of times when we go out to eat, we will only go to places that can cater directly to that. And it's usually like the nicer places that, you know, will wipe everything down in the kitchen for me yep. versus going to like a chain restaurant. So we've designed that very intentionally. But, you know, I would actually that's why I would say these numbers are very reasonable, because if we can eat my specialty diet for this price, then I would think most people could eat well for this price. Mm -hmm. So, all right, moving on. So bills and utilities. Now this is going to cover phone, internet, cable, gas, water, and electricity clocking in right around 6% at $190 a month. Now I know some people that spend $190 a month just on their phone bill. (laughs) So here's, here's some things that we've done here. Phones, if you're paying that much money, just switch right now to Project Fi. For two lines, it'll run you right about 50 bucks, right? Yeah, we just switched my parents over, and yeah, it was right around with with everything, including some data. Even if you don't use data, you don't pay for it. It'd be like 50 bucks. Yeah, yeah. so right around 50 bucks for two phones. Um, internet, we've gotten down to 19.99 with Comcast just by arguing with the devil. Uh, so you can do that too. Um, but <laughs> before that, I think our normal rate was like 39.99, so 40 bucks. Well, so. that's what it was before we had a deal, and then it jumped up to 60 and then we renegotiated it. So yeah. the baseline that they want you to pay is at least 60 So between yeah. phone and internet, we're at about 100 so we have $90 left in this budget. And coincidentally enough, that's about how much we spend on gas, water, and electricity. So you'll notice that I left out cable because I don't think you need it. Nope. Yeah, so. no, I mean, that's... If you guys are still paying for cable, I mean, most people we know that are our age now have dropped that. Everybody has switched over to streaming services completely. And, you know, unless they like really need some kind of like sports package or something, there's like very situational. But even that's become a lot easier with like uh, if you live in a bigger city with like um, YouTube TV and stuff, they've like and sling them. They've really covered a lot of those channels now. Yeah. So a lot of this is being aware. And Brett mentioned not on a couple episodes ago, but. I recently have gotten very into getting our electricity bill lower, and I'm very proud of the work I've done on that because ours now is actually, for our sized house, 
we are one third of what the normal person spends on their electricity. And that is regionally based or average like nationally? Average nationally. Okay. Yeah. But still like that's pretty good, I'd say. <laughs> um, and you know that, but that's something I've like very much focused on. And I will say that like your electricity usage is controlled by you. Like don't leave things plugged in when they're done charging and you know, figure out how to live comfortably without running the air all of the time. Maybe that means opening the windows at night and turning on fans. But it makes a big difference. Like we started from last summer to this summer even, we're saving a hundred dollars a month on our electricity bill, which is huge. Yeah. I mean just from turning some stuff off we weren't using anyway. Right. right? Or unplugging other stuff. Yeah. Okay. So the next category we have here is insurance. So 10% of your monthly funds can go to insurance. So that's about $318. Now, this is the one where I'm sure there we might get some backlash or people will be confused because I'm including auto, life, and health. So auto insurance for a single car, what is ours now? Maybe $60 a month? Uh not even quite that high 50 yeah maybe now yeah but we we switched down to like not full coverage on our vehicle at this point because of the age but when we had two cars with full coverage we were paying just over a hundred dollars a month for both our cars yeah it's like a thousand dollars a year Mm -hmm. so now we're down to like 600 because we you know got rid of a car um so then you know i know i have really good health insurance so i didn't base this off of my package But, you know, so I'm thinking about $100 a month for auto insurance. I know it's actually cheaper in most other states because we're a no-fault state, so ours is very expensive. So then maybe $150 or so for health insurance. I do actually recommend getting on a high-deductible plan if you are a younger person because your, your medical expenses typically are low enough that you can save in an HSA and still come out ahead at the end of the year. And then you get to keep that health savings account money rolling forward every single year, building you more momentum. Instead of, you know, on a traditional insurance plan, you pay the premium. And if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then life insurance as well, which depending on your needs, you can get into, you know, a whole life plan or a term life plan. And that can range. I mean, you can get a term life plan for probably as low as $25 a month, depending on your needs and coverage up to a whole life plan of maybe $100 a month. So that $300 can kind of mix and match and it goes a long way. This, now I know some people might ask, well, what about homeowner's insurance? That's usually, if you have a mortgage payment rolled into it, it's the PITI, which is principal insurance, taxes, and and interest. So it covers all four of those. So, you know, I included it in that amount. If you need to break it out in here, you can. So, and it's a little bit hard with insurance because these do vary so much per person, depending on your life situation. So this is a broad estimate, keeping in mind that I have that buffer in the savings if you need to pull some down here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then other, which is everything else, shopping, home goods, you know, toilet paper, anything I missed. Entertainment, yep. um, That would be $160 a month. That's pretty tight, but I think that's a doable thing for a single person, right? I think so. I, for sure. I actually was like, oh, pretty good. Pretty (laughs) generous. I mean, but again, this is coming from the person that my dad gave me $100 
a month in high school. So, like, I figured out how to have fun on, like, $20 a month so I could, like, save the rest, right? Right. Um, and I think something to note here is, you know, that's almost two grand a year. And that, you know, so, like, maybe you save some of that and then you buy yourself, like, some really nice pieces of clothes. That's a model we've switched to. And then we don't buy clothes more than once a year. We get a couple new pieces. And, you know, have friends over and, you know, you can host people over at your house for very cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, you know, again, something else I want to know is we've mentioned that we really like to travel. So that actually could be part of your savings, though. Like maybe if you ramped your savings up to 28%, it's so that you can go on vacation. Well, I mean, you're saving in this example almost $11,000 a year. If you want to carve out two to three grand for a trip, like you're still saving a lot of other money, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's something else to know. This other is not necessarily the catch-all. It's there might be amounts that you're saving for that those are the big purchases, right? Like a house or furniture, anything yeah, like that. Yeah, f- furniture is a good one, right? Especially if somebody buys a new house or even if they're like renting a place for the first time and need to furnish it. You know, people people get overexcited and they're just like, oh, I have all this space now and I just need to like fill the space full of stuff. And then you end up like not using most of that stuff most of the time. And then you go and you're inevitably going to move later and you're like, wow, what is all this crap I have? Now it's like really expensive to like move to a new location, right? So, um, you know, we just went through like a garage sale phase and like tried to get rid of like a ton of stuff that we have. And at the time that we bought all this stuff, it was like super important, right? Like, you know, it's like, oh, this is a great thing to own. And then we're just like, nope, nobody even wants this anymore. We can't even give this stuff away for free anymore. Well, And I think it's kind of important to note too that like, you can get a lot of really good stuff secondhand if you go to the garage sales yourself. Like, stuff that we were getting rid of was nice. There was nothing wrong with it. We just didn't have a need for it anymore. And we were literally basically willing to give it away. Like, I remember at the end of our sale, this lady came up and she picked out, like, a bunch of clothes of mine. And she was like, oh, how about you know, $5 for all of it. And it was supposed to be like $10, right? And she thought I was going to like negotiate with her. And I was like, that's fine. And she was like, wow. And she thought she got like such a great deal. Meanwhile, I was like, sweet. I was literally like closing my garage and otherwise all of this stuff was going to Goodwill. (laughs) So, you know, I think you can find a lot of great stuff secondhand and we're not afraid of that anymore. Like your office chair we got secondhand and yeah, I mean, it's good quality. Somebody else got a new one. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, So I did want to bring up some fun facts really quick before we wrap up this podcast. So in this example, you were able to save $890 a month. So in 10 years, that would be $154,000, which is awesome, right? That's like a house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) In 20 years, that would be $464,000. In 30 years, that would be $1.1 million. And in 40 years, that would be $2.3 million. So in case we haven't hammered home the concept of compound interest, I just walked you through going from like, you know, eight, what was that, $10,000 a year to $2.3 million by the time you retire. Right. I mean, starting from this math, I mean, starting from zero, right? This is if you start, have no money in your account and start tomorrow, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's awesome. But the other thing I wanted to note, because I think a lot of people listening are going to be very overwhelmed by that $800 number, and I don't want you to be, because I sliced this budget up one way based off what numbers were seemed reasonable to us and kind of how we live our life. But I know that 
different people have different priorities. You might have to shift some of that down and maybe you don't have a savings right now. Maybe your savings is zero and these other categories are inflated and you're trying to figure out how to cut back in any direction, which I don't want you to be discouraged. I think any baby steps you can make are great. So I wanted to motivate people, I guess, and maybe challenge people to start saving $30 a week. Because I think throughout the course of the week, you have a plethora of decision-making in which most people can save $30. So maybe you pack your lunch for three days instead of buying it out. Maybe you skip date night out and you decide to just make dinner in together. Or, you know, maybe you call Comcast and get your bill lowered a little bit. Or maybe you run around like a crazy person and unplug all of your electronics, right? I think there's a lot of different ways to save $30, so however you want to do it. But if you can start saving $30 a week and you put it in an interest-bearing account, in 10 years, you'll have $23,000, which is nothing to sneeze at, right? For $30 a week. Yep. So the reason this example actually came up is I was talking to somebody who had... Uh, who recently had a kid and said, I'm never going to be able to save for college, but I really want to be able to help my kid. So with that, you have about 18 years to save, right? If they could cut back $30 a week, in 18 years, they'll have $68,000. That would pay for a very good chunk of college. Mm -hmm. So like, just by, and I think if people think of it that way, if you think, okay, if I pack my lunch, for three days this week, I can help my kid with college. Like, that's a huge motivator, right? Right. I mean, that's crazy, right? So that's huge. Um, and then just to get the other two data points out here, 30 years, you'd have $160,000. And 40 years, you'd have $343,000. Which is why I tell anybody, I don't care where you're working, what you're doing, if your company offers you a 401k, even if you can only save... $60 a paycheck or $30 a week, it is worth it because basically if you're young and you're in your 20s and you get a job and you're saving $30 a week at retirement, you'll be $340,000 further ahead, which is huge. I mean, that's right. an enormous amount of money. Plus the company match, right? Plus the company match. So probably double that, right? Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden you have $700,000 and congratulations, like you get to retire because your 20 year old self was willing to give up $30 a week. Yep. Like, that's awesome. I don't know. This is the stuff about compound interest that fascinated me at a young age, which I'm like still forever thankful for. Right, yeah, being selfish with your, your money is only hurting yourself in the future, I guess, right? Yeah. There's a moral of that story. Exactly. <laughs> so, all right, well, that's most of it for this episode. Like I said, um, hopefully this kind of like helped people to get an idea for where your budget should be landing. But also, like, you know yourself and you know your priorities. Like, maybe you're fine with living in a nicer house because you're willing to give up, you know, auto, like I did in Chicago. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you're like, well, housing here is cheap and I'm happy in a $600 a month apartment so that I can buy a nicer car, right? And live out so, of that. Yep. Um, wherever you kind of, like, allocate your money is fine, just as long as at the end of the day you're accomplishing your goals, right? All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you.
Money in the bank.